Turn your Bibles over to the 13th chapter of Romans. Some weeks back we began our study in the first part of the 12th chapter dealing with the concept of Christians offering themselves up as a living sacrifice for sins and noting at the time that the remainder of what followed really told us what was involved in offering ourselves up as a sacrifice for sins. And what it has involved so far in our study is that whether we look at ourselves as a member of the congregation, or we look at ourselves as an individual, or we look at ourselves as a citizen under a certain government, as we discussed last week, that we are to live in such a way that we would be willing to sacrifice our self-interest or whatever our own flesh would desire to do in order to fulfill the will of God in that area, whatever it may be. Uh, from within our own person, it means sometimes sacrificing and not doing things that we want to do or doing things that we don't want to do because it is the will of God and we know it's best. And so we do it in that reason and part of ourself. It gets sacrificed in the process. And within the congregation that we noted that all of us are to look at ourselves from the standpoint of whatever abilities or whatever talents that we have, not to be envious of somebody who has some talent or ability that we don't have. On the other hand, to be willing to look at ourselves, be honest with ourselves, and recognize that whatever I can do, I need to do it for the common good. And with the recognition that no one of us can or have the ability to do it all, but we can all work together and accomplish what God would have us do. Now, I'd like you to start with me today in the, with today in the 13th chapter in the 8th verse, and I'll read the remainder of that chapter, and then we'll go back and look at it uh, from the standpoint of its context. And remember, the principle that, that we're dealing with is this principle of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, and we've already discussed the motivation for this, and the motivation is with a view towards what God has done for us, and then we uh, learn about the, the how-to in the fact that he says our mind is to be transformed so that we'll have the right information and make the right decisions. Okay, now beginning in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you are to wake from slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us behave decently as in the daytime and not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think 
about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Look at the statement here, uh, beginning with A, let no debt remain outstanding, and yet he says there except this continuing debt to love one another. And whoever loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Remember, our context is one of presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. And if we're going to love somebody else, then obviously there's going to be times when we sacrifice self-interest. And so he said the commandments uh, do not commit adultery, murder, etc. And they're all summed up in this simple statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, recently, this, this week, all of us, I'm sure, are aware of what happened in Los Angeles. That when the verdict was read, everything broke out in Los Angeles, and so far, uh, several hundred million dollars worth of damage has been done. Businesses have been destroyed. I don't know what the death count is up to now. The last I heard, and I haven't read today's paper yet, was 40. I don't know if you guys heard a later figure, but I'm sure it's more by now. Uh, several hundred injured. All of these things took place. Uh, most of us all over the country believe that what happened there was wrong. There's been all kinds of arguments, you know, as to why it took place. Uh, I've heard... Uh, Politicians and spokesmen from the uh, various communities involved stand up and, and make excuses from the standpoint of, of the environment and everything that these people lived in. But the interesting thing is that uh, uh, if it was because of, of this verdict, most of the people that were killed were blacks, weren't they? Most of the businesses that were destroyed were black businesses. Uh, people that were beat up and hurt were people that had nothing to do with the verdict itself. And so the question becomes, what really ignited that? Uh, there was obviously more to it than this. Uh, all the looting, the killing, and the, and the burning. Well, then we began to deal with something like this, and we say, well, what about these people then that are brought up in the slums and, and who uh, have various things uh, against them? You know, there are, many of them are unemployed. They live in a slum situation. Uh, most of them are probably not going to church or anything of that nature. Uh, does this happen because they don't know the difference between right and wrong? I mean, is that why it happens? Uh, the people that pulled that truck driver out that was so vividly portrayed on the news and, and beat him up, and was that because they had no perspective that that was wrong? They just did that and, and, and thought that was fine? Are the people that looted the stores and everything, does, does that kind of thing happen? because people are just simply uh, not knowledgeable of what right and wrong is. You know, it's interesting, uh, if you want to hold your place here, and flip back a little bit to the second chapter, and, and notice what Paul would say concerning this thing of, uh, of accountability and our actions towards one another. Uh, in verse 14 he said, When Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are law to themselves even though they do not have the law, since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, and their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place in the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Paul says that uh, 
Everybody has a conscience, doesn't it? A sense of ought. And he said that Gentiles who, uh, who didn't go to Bible class, we'll say, who didn't, who didn't have the written law, that in reality the requirements of the law are written in their heart, in their mind, in their conscience, that they have a sense of ought. And so much so that he said that they would give an account of their conscience before God. But the interesting thing is that, that when we look at conscience, we can see accountability come into play on man's part. But when all we look at is conscience and the law and accountability, history gives us a constant stream of what we've seen this week. Man's inhumanity to man. Hitler's conscience did not stop him from doing what he did. Stalin's conscience did not stop him from doing what he did. We've had murderers all through the centuries, and the type of thing that took place in Los Angeles, at one time or another, it's taking place every place in the world. You know, we look at it in a big way because it's right here with us. But it's been going on in Yugoslavia. It's been going on in South Africa. It's been going on in Korea. It's been going on in South America. It's been going on in Mexico. And we just watched it on the news and it was distant. But I'm saying that people rising up and beating up other people and killing them and burning and, and on a regular basis, people raping and murder, murdering. This is going on constant. All over the world, all the time, for as long as we can go back and look at history. Well, the question becomes, what is the answer to this? Uh, is it that as some of the liberal politicians seem to indicate that uh, that if people are brought up in a certain bad environment, you just can't expect anything else of them, and therefore they're unaccountable? Well, Paul would say that everybody's made an image of God. We all have conscience that we have a sense of awe. In fact, it was interesting to me that when they interviewed a number of people, and by the way, most of Los Angeles didn't do those kinds of things, and most of the blacks didn't do those kinds of things. In fact, it was interesting to me, you know, the truck driver, did most of you see the truck driver that was beat up? They showed you the part where they were beating him up and kicking him, but did you hear also, I didn't hear this to later on, who it was that saved his life? It was four blacks. Three black men and a black woman that ran out and helped him in his truck, and a black woman got in the truck with him, and he couldn't see. And she told him that she would be his eyes. And so she was there with him, and he drove, and the other two helped him in there, and he's alive today because four black people got out there and put their own life on the line to save him. What's the difference between those four blacks that saved him and those that beat him up? They all have conscience. They're all made in the image of God. Uh, the four that saved him, do you think if you ask them if they agreed with the verdict about the Rodney King beating, that they would have agreed with that verdict? I think that everyone told you that they disagreed with that verdict. And then I think all the people that helped out and did the right things would tell you probably that they disagreed uh, with that verdict that was rendered. Well, then why the difference then? We all have conscience. Paul has established that there's no excuse for not believing in God. The invisible God is declared by the things that are. So nobody has an excuse. They, they, there's no escaping uh, the knowledge of our Creator. There's no escaping our accountability because we all have conscience. And so Paul said, even the Gentile that lived without the law was accountable to God for his morality, for his actions, 
Because he has conscience and a sense of awe. You know, in Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, the people were going into captivity and everybody's wrestling with this thing of accountability and who to blame. You know, we've always got to blame somebody. And so they were blaming their forefathers. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And so a blaming of an Ezekiel steps in there and says, I don't want to hear that nonsense. Let me tell you what God says on this matter, Ezekiel says. The soul which sinneth, that will die. The father will not bear the sin of the son, and the son will not bear the sin of the father, but the soul that sinneth, that will die. And then Ezekiel launches into a story where he talks about a righteous man that has an unrighteous son. He says, each will stand on their own merit before God. And then this unrighteous son grows up to be a man, and he has a son. And his son, even though he has this bad environment with an unrighteous daddy, looks up at his unrighteous daddy and he says, I don't want to be that way. I can see the consequences. I can see the ugliness that's there. And I don't want to be that way. And so he makes a decision to be righteous. And then he goes on to say that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants them to repent. But the soul that's in it, it will die. And Ezekiel builds a case for individual accountability before God, no matter what your daddy was or your mama was. That we're made in the image of God and we have conscience. What's the answer to this? We have conscience. That gives us our accountability. We, we have the intellectual capacity to evaluate the evidences of God and, and therefore we believe. And yet we've noted that all through history, there are those people that act like barbarians toward others. And there are those that will actually put their life on the line to save another person. Think of the contrast. One person very easily will snuff out another life or steal or lie or cheat or commit adultery with, a, with his mates, uh, with, you know, with another person's mate. The other person will actually many times put their life on the line and sacrifice themselves in order to protect somebody else. What is the difference? I believe Paul is telling us the difference right here. It's this thing called love. It's that simple. It's one thing to, to know right and wrong. It's one thing to have your conscience to set as a judge within you and, and to condemn you when you're wrong and, and to tell you you're okay when you're right. And it's another thing to submit to that conscience. It's one thing to know what is right. It's another thing to do it. Well, the person who is going to do what is right towards his fellow man is going to be the individual who simply loves others to the extent that he will even, or she, even sacrifice some of themselves. And so therefore, Paul says, have this debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. What does that mean? That because you love your fellow man that you don't need the law? No. Let him finish. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet it. All, right, all of these are things that do harm to your fellow man, right? Well, love fulfills the law, and he says that they're all summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't really need somebody saying to you, hey, don't murder him. That's a ridiculous statement. That's why that 
the Christian doesn't need the law in the same way that uh, someone else. It's ridiculous if you love somebody to say don't murder that person. It's ridiculous if, if you love somebody to then try to tell you, hey, don't steal from that person. If you love him or not. It's ridiculous to say, don't commit adultery uh, with your friend's mate if you love your friend. And if you love that other person, uh, love will, will sacrifice self if necessary and, and do what is best for the other person. And so love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, let's pause there. What can we say then about these people that will burn up other people's businesses or beat them up or kill them or loot or steal? Is it because they don't have a conscience? Oh, they may have steered it somewhere along the line, but they've got a conscience. They know that's wrong. Living in that environment, uh, sometimes when I listen to these liberal politicians, I'm thinking we must live in two different worlds. And I think we do. I think it's just like you and I in Grundy County. This is a poor area. And some of these liberal politicians have been wealthy all their lives, and, and they just tend to think that if you just give everybody a nice house and enough money, they're going to be good people. But those of us that had lived in poverty situations, I was raised in an inner city in a low-income housing project, and there were people in there that you could have given them every dollar in the bank. Built them a nice, the nicest house around, and you wouldn't have changed them one iota. And you've got people in our poverty area right here that you could walk out there right now and build them a nice house and give them money, and you and I both know you would not change those people. You might make it easier for them, but you wouldn't change them. I don't know of anybody that's ever been changed for the good simply because they got a nice house and some money. If you do, then, uh, you know, enlighten me afterwards so I can not make that statement again. But I honestly don't. Then what is the difference all the way through? Why do those people kill and loot? Paul would say they don't love their fellow man. They hate. They go out and do those things simply because they hate other people. They went into the Koreans. There's a, Korea, the Koreans in that community have been very successful because they work extremely hard. And people who don't work near as hard have, have recalled in hatred and disdain towards those that are showing them up. I mean, they said, we can't do anything because we've got all these disadvantages. And the Koreans come over here and get busy and, and build successful build businesses and buy houses and cars. And so then there's a hatred there. And when you look at a common denominator for what got destroyed, it was like anybody that was successful, black or white or oriental, was attacked. And there was hatred involved. Well, in Grundy County, let's leave Los Angeles alone because Lord knows we don't have to go to Los Angeles to, to find that stuff. In Grundy County, why is there stealing? Or why is there murder? Or why is there uh, looting? Or why is there adultery? It's because that some people have more conscience than others? I don't think so. I think that exists 
to the extent that people don't love one another. And the people that don't engage in that type of behavior don't do it simply because they have a higher degree of love for their fellow man. And so they don't go through life just doing anything they want to do or anything they're tempted to do or whatever, but they have a certain love for their fellow man and that therefore puts them in a frame of mind where they don't want to harm somebody that they love. Okay, let's go back to our people in L.A. again because they're so vivid on our mind. These people that went out and they went into the Korean area and they looted and, and they did that to the truck driver. Do you think any of those people did that to their own mom and their own dad? Or their own children? Who, who did they miss when they did that to? The people they loved. Do you know that... Uh, it's interesting, I don't know how much reading you've done on this, but if you've read about some of these people in the mafia, and they make some interesting reading because of the paradoxes involved. You know, some of those people are, are outstanding fathers of their children. Do you know that? that? I mean, that there are people in the mafia that their own children and family don't know they're involved, and that they are outstanding towards their own children. They want the very best for them. They want them to have a good education. They want them trained morally right. They treat their wives many times in a good way. They, they treat their parents. Why? Because they love their own children and their own flesh. And how many people have you known in the community that towards their own flesh would be one way and towards other people would be another way? Well, they, it's the, the people that they love, they were a certain way. We'll never end the situation like that happened in L.A. They go back and rebuild that place. And the liberal politicians can tell us that the problem is that we're not paying enough taxes and if we just built better houses and increased the welfare checks and all that kind of stuff, that they'll never do that again. That's not the problem. Uh, the, the problem is that people don't love. And that's what Paul is saying here is the problem with man and the keeping of God's commands. We just simply don't love, he said, as we should. And if we learn to love and, and began to love our neighbor as ourself, he doesn't, he doesn't just use this word love in a nebulous way. He says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we know what we feel about ourselves. Not too many of us go around willfully. In fact, what do we say when we find a person that willfully hurts himself? We say he doesn't love himself. He has low self-esteem. And so some people, by the way, and that is true, some people who are alcoholics or drug addicts are individuals who do not love themselves. And they're honestly trying to destroy themselves. And so the way we answer that, we say we need to build up that person's self-esteem and get them to think more highly of themselves. And so we treat people and ourselves in keeping with how much we love. And so Paul says the answer to our conduct is based on this concept of love. Okay, now, we can see that, and we can see how important this thing of love is, but now the question becomes, for you and I as, as Christians, how do we change the situation? You know, like that can happen in L.A., or have a part at it, or, or here in uh, uh, Grundy County, how are we going to change it? Are we going to sit back and think I'm doing my duty when I go to the polls and if we can just elect so-and-so and therefore he increases the welfare payments and everything and then those people won't be that way? 
I don't believe any of us believe that. Uh, there's more money, money going out per person to welfare than's ever gone out in the history of our country. And more, more being done. And, and yet it, it, it's still there. I don't know any way that conduct will be changed except through love. And the question becomes, what part do you and I have to play in this? You think that uh, the people in L.A. Or, or the people here in Grundy County are, are going to love simply because you and I go out there and say, hey, you ought to love that person? I don't think so. I think we can begin to answer the question when we look at ourselves and we say, why do we feel the way we do? Why do we honestly believe it's right to love our neighbor as ourselves? And why, why do we have a feeling that we don't want to hurt somebody else? And even if they're a bad person, we really don't want to see them hurt. You know, we may have to take them away from society, keep them from hurting somebody, but we really, we really don't enjoy seeing anybody hurt. What, what causes us to have that kind of an attitude? Or what causes you? There's not a person here today that if I lived next to you, I'd be worried about locking my door. I don't, I don't believe there's a one of you to be in my house to steal anything or to take my car or anything like that. What causes that? I believe that you're what you are because of the influence of God on your life. And in your, your love for God based on your knowledge of the fact that he gave Jesus to die for your sins. And you know that. And so you're, you're, you're comparable to what Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 1. Uh, in view of the mercy of God, present yourself a living sacrifice. And the very fact that you walk around with a frame of mind that knows that you are a sinner that have been forgiven by God and Jesus died for you and God loves you and God wants you to love your fellow man, I'm saying that predisposes you to want to do what is right. However imperfect it might be, it predisposes you to want to do what is right for your fellow man and to conduct yourself in the right way and I don't believe that anything will be changed in L.A. or in Grundy or any other place until you and I as a body of people realize the importance of what that's done for us and it ought to impress on our mind that the most important thing that we can do for the world, whether it's L.A. or Grundy County or, or Poland or Russia or any place else, is to do everything within our power to get the gospel to every single individual and make sure they've had an opportunity to hear it and to understand it and know that for those people that respond to it, we can change them so they're not that type of people. And I wonder even when I look at all the savagery there in L.A., how many of them could be totally different if they was ever reached uh, in the same way with that same good news concerning salvation in Christ, the remission of their sins, God's love for them, and, and, and able to create into them an attitude of self-worth and a high esteem. Uh, and I don't believe that anything other than that would change their feelings uh, towards their fellow man. And the more I live, the more convinced I've become, I've become that the most important thing that we can do, uh, we've preached it and talked about it for years, whether we practice it or not, nobody in this world is doing anything more important than those of us that are trying to get the good news of salvation of Jesus and that way of life uh, into the minds of all we come in contact with. And I believe that when you do that, it's even more important. I'm all for us voting. But I honestly believe the effort that we put forth to reach others about Christ, whether it's here in this community or supporting others, that is more important 
than any vote that you will ever cast or anything that you and I will ever do to affect our community or our country or our world uh, in a positive way. Let's conclude our study for this morning. If, if you're here as one that is not a Christian, God loves you so much that he gave Jesus to die for your sins. God's desire is for you to respond to his love by repenting of your sins and putting your trust in that sacrifice. Express that trust by acknowledging with your mouth Jesus is Lord and being identified with him and his death, burial, and resurrection in your immersion into him. If you desire to respond, we give you the opportunity as together we stand.